Hey, welcome to the Living the Dream podcast. This is your host, Timmy Douglas, and the goal of this podcast is to create a community that inspires action, accountability, celebrates progress, and helps people make the right connections to take that next step towards their dreams and goals. If you're looking for any one-on-one coaching to pinpoint your purpose and start taking steps in that direction, make sure to contact me on my website, workwithtimmydouglas.com, or on social media. On that note, let's get into the show. All right, what's up, guys? Welcome back to the Living the Dream podcast. Today, our guest is Jordan Scop, founder of Foul Ball Safety Now, and we'll get to hear a lot more about that, a lot more about Jordan. So let's get right into it. Jordan, how you doing? Hey, Timothy. Thanks so much for having me. Pretty yeah. good. Thank you. Yeah, no, of course. It's a pleasure to have you, and uh, thank you for coming on the show. We always enjoy having people on. So we like to jump right in. And we want to start with getting to know you a little bit. So if you could tell us about your family, where you're from, and some of the stuff you like to do for fun. Sure. So born in Brooklyn, uh, just uh, still have relatives that live in the area, just been running solo for my whole life. I've been an adult for quite a number of years now. So, you know, that story is what it is. I love going to games uh, with friends solo. It could be any any type of game. Just a big sports fan. Like being there, like going and attending games, uh, basketball, hockey, baseball, football, not as much, even though I had attended some pretty big football games over the years, but not really a regular football game goer. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so... Got some relatives in the Brooklyn area, um, and you oh, yeah. love going to just sports events in general. Yeah. Oh, sure. Okay. Okay. I love it. I love it. So, what are what what do you do right now? What is your occupation? Tell us a little bit about. Uh, yep, I'm a licensed real estate broker in the state of New York, uh, which allows me to work uh, and sell residential or commercial property. Uh, so that's uh, something that I've been experienced at for a number of years. Um, and I've been on this campaign for a few years, so I've had some time, made the time because I felt like it was really important to put a lot of energy and some of my own money into this campaign, uh, just to bring attention to this big issue that we're going to be discussing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I'm sure we'll jump more into the campaign, but before that, yes, you're a licensed real estate broker in New York. I am a licensed agent in Texas. Oh. Hey, there you go. There you go. Are you going to be a broker at some point? Uh, I don't think I'll go on the brokerage side of the business. Uh, so I got jumped in as an yep. agent, was doing residential and decided to make the shift to syndicating multifamily apartments. Okay. And so that's kind of my focus now. And then I help people house hack as a realtor, which is like, you know, buying a four bedroom, five bedroom or a duplex, triplex, quadplex on an FHA loan. Ah, and renting out the bedroom so you can live for free. Because I'm a young guy. I like to help young people start to build their wealth. And I think that's a great way to do it. That's really good. And I'm sure you do follow every which way you can, you know, be a benefit to the uh, real estate community. So that's really good on you. Uh, my, my transactions are usually very general and straightforward. There's probably a lot of different creative ways I probably could have figured out on how to dive into and, and get more involved in. But yeah, more power to you. Enjoy and good luck. Yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate it. Always nice to meet a fellow real estate guy. Uh-huh. All right. Tell us a little bit more about this campaign and uh, foul ball safety. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, tremendous. Uh, just, uh, you know, speaking of Texas and your state, uh, there was a famous incident from two years ago that really got me involved. A little girl in Houston got slammed with a ball and she was very seriously injured. And I just thought at that point in time, I was like, well, when is this going to end? And and I just started doing this research and just started coming up with, you know, conviction about, you know, hey, how come this has been going on for so long? And self-publishing articles, which I put at Foul Ball Safety Now on my website, things that I had written uh, when I first started this campaign, um, just feeling like there wasn't enough being spoken up about the problem from all the insiders of the game, which are baseball writers, which are the broadcasters, which are the owners, and certainly the players. And, you know, and I made some accusations or some strong statements, and I stand by them today, certainly after I've been involved in this campaign for two years, doing the research, learning how many children have been seriously injured, learning about you know, these impact statements that people have been coming to me with uh, from from people that I've been meeting on this journey. So, uh, yeah, interviewing people that have been seriously injured by foul balls and collecting a lot of interviews from those folks and hearing that it's not just, just one incident uh, that it impacts them. It's, it's a whole longer term thing. I mean, some of them do have long term injuries. And, you know, neurological issues, lost eyes, relatives that have lost lives. And um, just becoming involved with these people, which are only about a handful, it reminds me that there's so many more that haven't found us yet at Fallible Safety Now. And it's going to give them an opportunity to be interviewed for the book and also to give an impact statement. And I think it'll remind us all that it wasn't a free ride at the game and you know, foul balls, the association most folks make with foul balls is flirting with fun and bringing your glove, but not really think of the the extreme, which is, you know, the death, the, de the danger of the death that comes with it. So, yeah, I mean, it's extreme, but it happens. Gotcha. Yeah, I will say I totally when I think of foul balls, I thought what you're doing is interesting because I only ever think of. I'm um, like catching a foul ball as a kid and like being excited, you know, mm -hmm. and getting to keep the ball. But mm -hmm. part of me always wondered, I was like, are there people that like just get wrecked with these foul balls? And apparently there are a lot of them. And so I'm glad mm -hmm. you're doing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they are. And the, the problem is the baseball's known about this forever. Right. And they unfortunately, uh, new, foreseeable, predictable. It wasn't a matter of if things would get crushed, it was when. And I, be, I do believe like most fans didn't really have any ideas that they were flirting with more than fun. They didn't think they were flirting with danger or death. And it would have been nice if they were told that in prior and thinking about bringing their kid, you know, and if adults want to go flirt with danger or death, you know, like they want to go run with the bulls, you know, you, I don't think you're allowed to bring your kid. You know, that kind of thing. And it's like uh, baseball's been kind of getting away with it forever. And I don't think the journalists have sort of like rank and filed on this or the broadcasters, you know, sort of said, hey, you know what? We're not going to we're not going to deal with this no more. Our families are secure, but most fans are not. I mean, even in the minor leagues, there are like 5,000 minor league players all looking for 750 jobs. Most of them will not make the finish journey to the majors somewhere along the line 
their dreams of being major leagues will be over and they'll, you know, give up the game or at least on an opportunity, at least, you know, with expectations of making the major leagues. But those minor leaguers, they bear the burden knowing that they're playing in a non-unionized arena, a non-unionized community of minor league players. They don't have a union as of yet. And they can't even, you know, only tell their own families. They could tell their own families to sit in secure sections. But, you know, I've interviewed a few of them from my book and they've told their own families to sit in sections, but they can't get on the public address and tell everybody else because uh, you know, that would be like, whoa. But maybe they feel like doing it because they know that somebody in their community is going to seriously injure somebody that year. So it's kind of like a double standard. So I'm yeah. trying to bring out all that stuff and and try to try to make baseball a sport that we can enjoy as spectators and not realize. And you know, I do want to bring the epiphany or the awareness to everyone who's been to games all those years that you know your good times are you know, unfortunately may have been tainted. And I'm sorry to put a cloud on that memory, but once you realize that your family was in a statistic of a weekly or a bi-weekly emergency room visit, you may think like they you were having a good time under false pretenses. And I believe that is the proper memory for those folks. Because if they knew or had any inclination that their children could have been hauled off to an emergency room, I don't think they would have ever, ever brought their families to those situations. That's my opinion. But right now, Timothy, it's just you and I and the others, the other, the other, uh, the, the, the owners or the writers or the broadcasters or the players, it's going to be tough to get them on and get their point of view. But we can yeah. continue putting out that narrative until somebody disputes it. And I certainly will continue to do that. Yeah, for sure. No, that is awesome. So tell, tell me a little bit about your motivation. I know you talked a little bit about the little girl in Houston that got slammed with a ball and was seriously yeah. injured. But tell yeah. us a little bit more about what gets you up and going every day in terms of foul ball safety now, but also mm -hmm. just in your day, daily life as a real estate broker. Yeah, well, yeah, thank you. So, you know, I would say more about the, the foul ball safety now issue right now. Um, it's just the right thing is right in front of us and it's there to be done. And even if it means, you know, being, being the minority or just, you know, finding advocates, you know, one at a time to join me in this as I've gotten victims to join me, I have a handful of victims who are inspiring me to keep on coming forward with this. If you noticed, I did have earned media. If you guys go to foulballsafetynow.com, I had hired a publicist from November 2020 till June of 2021. And, you know, articles like People Magazine and LA Times, LA Daily News, Forbes Magazine, Boston Globe, all articles which mentioned foul ball safety now and what I'm doing. But they're only summaries. It's not that real investigative piece. And some would say that I'm the investigative guy that keeps on bringing up the statistics, how many children have been hurt, how predictable this is, what how many people were maimed in the last full season of major league baseball how many how many how many seasons how many uh, minor league clubs still have no nets past the dugouts which are around 42 and that little girl where was she hurt past the end of the dugouts so you know 
one would say I'm the investigator reporter. And until a big reporter comes along and decides to really write the whole story, I have to keep on bringing this up. And I will. So that really motivates me. Uh, and the book is coming together. And I will have final say on the, how the book starts and how the book will finish. You know, in essence, we're producing a book, you know, and we're, we're, we have all the ingredients, but we just want to make sure the story is is edited right or expressed the right way to keep the reader in tune and understand that, you know, I'm an equal opportunity offender, man. I'm just going to keep taking them on and I'm going to do it and I got to do it. So it's exciting. It's motivating. It's it's sad. I'm still a baseball guy, but. Most most fans, unfortunately, Timothy, still today are thinking foul balls and fun. And they're not thinking certainly out of those minor league ballparks, nearly 100 of them, Timothy. I connected to 40. I connected with nearly 100 of the minor league cities that host games and at least 42 still had no nets past dugouts. And that's telling me we need an independent netting council and somebody of that, that's the solution, Timothy, I'll just tell you, which is what's the what's the fix? The fix is no, 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 no more baseball. You don't know where to put the nets. The independent netting council, which, which is an independent body, like a regulatory agency, needs to go into every one of those 120 minor league ballparks and every one of those 30 major league ballparks. And they need to understand how fast, how often these balls go and what speeds, you know, how high, how far, how wide the nets need to go. And that's it. And then we could all go to a game and see a sign hung in the ballpark from the Independent Netting Council saying, this ballpark is maiming free, folks. Have a nice day. So that's where it's at. That's where I'm going with it. Yeah, for sure. And so I guess that is a great segue into our next section of the podcast, which is directly sure. about your dreams and goals. So I guess you'd say your vision for foul ball yeah. safety now is that independent kind of council. Yeah, like an architects and engineers that they know. It's not the baseball's engineers and architects. It's like if they want to be open for business, you either work with these guys or you can't be open for business. You can't allow a building with bricks to be loose and you're waiting for the cement to reinforce, you're waiting for the cement to come to deliver, to be delivered. So then it'll reinforce the bricks and have bricks raining down from time to time. You need to reinforce those bricks. You need to prevent those balls hitting children in split seconds, you know? And if adults want to make a mutual decision with management and they want to flirt with danger and death, like running with the bulls, fine. But so be it. It should be spelled out that way. And that, unfortunately, has been the status quo. And, you know, and it's only been revealed in microprint. And when I say that, nobody ever, ever looked at the microprint. When I say that, people look at it, but they don't take it seriously. That was on the back of the ticket, which baseball had on each ticket now on the back of the e-tickets or through through the e-ticket if you search for it on your phone or wherever you could find a little bit of a micro print which basically says if we hurt you or kill you we're not responsible and like imagine if they ever put that up on the scoreboard families would be looking at it for the first time saying wait should we be sitting here and they'd be putting two and two together and they'd be going to my website and learning about 
43 children since 2008 have been seriously injured in major league games. And most of the, and when I say that, it's not even accounting the minor leagues. Most of the injuries that I found from 2008 to 2019, 43 children with serious injuries from baseballs. And most of that accounted from the major leagues. But since we realized there are three times as many more games at the minor leagues and the accounting of the statistical injury may not be recorded at the minor league level because there's less accurate information, less media possible, um, we believe that number could be over 100. You know, but we do know of the 43. We do know of 15 people at major league games in 2019, according to Kelsey McKenney at Deadspin. 15 people in a 26 and one half week season. That tells me that once every other week, give or take, somebody is being hauled off to the emergency room. So that, you know, and we don't know what was the deal in the minor leagues. Maybe there were 40 or 50 people rushed off to the emergency room, considered that there's three times as many more games. Gotcha. Um, whatever. I, I don't want to stretch the numbers. There's no need to. Maybe the minor league season was in 26 and a half weeks, and it was only 18 weeks. I'm not going to split hairs. I don't want to, and I want to talk conservative numbers. I don't want to exaggerate anything. There's no need to. I just want to present all this information to your listeners so they can go to the website and see what I've discovered, what I'm learning and happy to share anything else. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. I appreciate it. And so I guess the next question is typically what caused you to take that first step towards this sure. goal and dream, but we know that that's the little girl in Houston, right? She, she, she was the tipping point. She got me involved. I mean, I kind of knew this from, being a baseball fan, I had a couple of close calls myself, uh, but didn't think about becoming an activist or some sort of game, you know, changing, changing, you know, the moving the needle a little bit, like a change agent, if you will. Um, but I, I felt like I can do this and I could follow through with this. And I just feel like there's a baseball rule that baseball owners have been hiding behind for over a hundred years. That's that microprint that I talked about. And people who have had no recourse, very little recourse if they've been seriously injured by a ball, usually they'll get to their lawyer's office and the lawyer will say, sorry, folks, the baseball rule, it's on the back of the ticket, they're not responsible. And then sometimes the lawyer will take a case and they'll get to the first round of the court proceeding. And then the judge will say, sorry, guys, you can't proceed the baseball rule. And then in a couple of cases, there have been some moving of the needle where where the judge would say something like, OK, it's time to discover what baseball really knew. Let's find out. Because similar to Big Tobacco, when baseball, when Big Tobacco was forced to share what they knew, it actually, they, they we found out that baseball had written documents uh, that really showed that smoking was terrible and they had all the proof and they got, got in big trouble when this, all these hearings took place 25 years ago or so. Um, and they had to pay billions and billions of dollars out. With baseball now, I'm not suggesting they have this secretive data, but I do believe when the baseball hears the word discovery in the in the court 
they get nervous. So they don't want to reveal what they have behind closed doors. So they will make a settlement in those cases with the plaintiff. So that secretive data stays secret. I have a joke, which I say, which is uh, serious, serious message that when Bud Selleck, who was the former commissioner, who's not a lawyer, but he actually teaches law for some reason, who gave the keys to Manford, and Manford's been commissioner now for seven years or so, he said to him, hey, now that you're commissioner, you make sure that door stays shut and those secrets stay secret. We got to keep wholesome. We got to keep baseball wholesome image. You know, so that's sort of my joke. I, you know, I don't know that for sure. But I do believe baseball does not want to reveal what they have privy to. Now, NBC did something which implied this is what baseball already knew. And NBC is big, big station in New York. Or uh, this was national, excuse me. Uh, and it's big in New York as well. Uh, but it was a national news story. You guys can check out the NBC foul ball report. And it implied the LA Daily, the LA Times guy implied after, you know, breaking down the data that from 2012 to 2019, 4,500 people reported to first aid. On my website, I said 5,000, but at least the LA Times guy said 4,500. Breaking down the NBC piece on how many people reported to first aid from just four of the 30 first aid responders. Uh, the other 26 did not comply. But if you took all those numbers, it sounds like 4,500 or 5,000 people. If they took all the 30 teams and all the math was done equally, all those people reported to first aid in Major League Baseball. Now, all of those 4,500 people obviously didn't have crushed heads or lost eyes, but certainly more than a few. And that's sad. I know a few myself. Yeah. Um, how many of those 4,500 were, you know, life-changing head injuries or lost eyes? A hundred? Well, then those hundred out of 4,500 need to find me a foul ball safety now. Even if it was less, maybe it was more. Whatever it may be, those people need to find me. Those balls fly in at 100 miles per hour. Baseball knows it's not every 50 years that people are getting slammed with balls. They know it's quite often. And I'm even investigating some of these stat cast companies to see if they keep track of foul balls. One guy in particular, he says 53,000 foul balls go into the stands a year. I mean, are fouled off every year. So, and he said maybe one third of those reach the seats. So I think we all know that more than one foul ball of the 20,000 went more than 100. I mean, give me a break. Um, so let everyone else figure that out. And yeah. just to say, what is that, 60,000 balls on the minor league level because it's three times as many more games or 4,500 people reported to first aid and this is based on only MLB, maybe – 13,500 injuries on the minor league level. How many of them had the crushed heads and the lost eyes? I do know about two deaths, both the Dodger Stadium. One was in 1970, which clearly was the time for baseball to have an honest discussion. But they chose not to. And the regulatory agencies apparently didn't get the memo and they still haven't gotten the memo. 
because they would have appointed an independent netting council, would have said to MLB, no, 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 no. We're putting up the nets, whether they obscure people's visions or not. The nets go up or the kids do not attend the games. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You need to no, be transparent. Absolutely. You know, like seatbelts in the 70s. They told the kids, they told the parents, your kids can't roll around the back. So clearly since 1970, when Alan Fisher died, and then again in 2018, the other death at Dodger Stadium that I'm familiar with was Erwin Goldblum's wife, Linda Goldblum. Erwin's been to six or seven of my uh, press conferences this year. Erwin's been very vocal about trying to change things. His wife was killed in 2018. The ball went behind home plate 93 miles an hour. Media didn't even get wind of it till like six months later. So, you know, that's a whole nother story in itself. But Irwin's been great. Uh, his daughter's been part of a couple of the press conferences. She's been good. A couple of Alexis's who are both teenagers, who are both teenagers now. One who was four years old in Kansas City when she got slammed. And she has long-term personal neurological issues. She's 14. She interviewed for the book. Another Alexis who at the gotcha. time is 10. All right. Jordan, I guess yeah, my, yeah. I guess yeah. my question is, um, yes. so there's a lot of people that don't know about this. And then there's yeah. a lot of people who have been affected by it dramatically. So what are the most important one or two things that that the common person, you know, the common person that goes to a baseball game can do to help you out? Well, there's things they can do now. They can go to the website and they could sign the petitions. And as the families are trying to convey, it's not a free ride at the game. It could happen to those folks and they should take precaution because baseball hasn't and still hasn't. Half measures don't cut it. There's a term I learned in legal leaves called willful wanton which is implying in one case now in Illinois, the Eddie Rybarsky case, she's saying the case can proceed because of willful want and want on, spelled want, O-N, willful want, suggesting that baseball did not put the netting up where they needed to put it to begin with. They made a conscious decision not to go all the way, high, far, wide. Uh, they can sign the petitions at Foulball Safety Now to ask for more netting they can sign the petition, there's two petitions, they can sign another petition uh, that's repealing the baseball rule. Both those petitions, we can get public policy going, we can get real politician, po political action. Right now, all there's been has been a couple of uh, games of volleyball between MLB and, and, and a couple of senators in Illinois by the name of Durbin and Duckworth. And he said that MLB should come up with something in 2019 about transparency and where it's safe for families to sit. And then they met again a few months ago, which is 2021, do the math, two years. MLB did not come up with that report that uh, the senators suggested they do. And, and again, Durbin spun it like, oh, we're doing like an investigative, an internal thing about Nets and Durbin. You know, kind of gotcha. let them slide. Let so, them slide. Yeah. So if people wanted to help out, they could go to the website and sign the petitions yes. and yes. take precaution because baseball hasn't and still doesn't. But I guess my next question is, if you were to have a few people 
that you can meet right now that would mm-hmm. help you take the next step, like two or three key people that would help mm-hmm. you take the next step in foul ball safety now, who would they mm-hmm. be and how would they do it? Well, it's going to require some real money. And I like if you guys noticed, I rented out two airplanes this year, one in Peoria where they were the worst of the worst. They had no nets at all over the dugout. Crazy. Look at the video of the Tampa Bay of the ball going in between the two guys that could happen in Peoria. Maybe they got their nets, but they certainly were open for business for first first few months of the season because, uh, yeah, I would ask. And then another one in, uh, in Iowa, I would ask somebody who they could also come to the website and if they have some dollars that they want to chip in with me, it costs money to get people involved, uh, to get to move politicians, lobbying, things like that. It would be somebody who has deeper pockets than I, who can help us get public policy going. We want to bring a ruling in. We want to end the baseball rule and we want an independent netting council to finally come in. So we know that each ballpark that is under the wing of baseball, the minor leagues and the major leagues, not, not even talking about the independent leagues and the colleges, just those 150 ballparks to be certified as safe. We need an act of Congress. So it would be a few of those folks. I don't need anyone else. I just need somebody who wants to take this, wants to take, wants to tell me to go back to selling real estate full time and take this campaign. I'll be like, yeah all right, you can take it from me and roll. But somebody with influence, somebody who has money, somebody who's going to be just as spirited as I am about this, those are the two or three people, those are the people, Timothy, that I would love to meet. Gotcha. Okay, somebody with some real money and real influence that can kind of start that lobbying process and get this ball rolling. Yes, or fly some airplanes over cities, make some statements. I rented out two airplanes. You know, they cost thousands of dollars every time I do that. Uh, one one said, uh, hey, Peoria Nets, foulballsafetynow.com. You guys can see the video up there. Some of my witness news coverage was all right. Local coverage in Peoria, things like that. And then there was another one. If you guys are big baseball fans, you might have watched that Field of Dreams game like a month and a half ago in August uh, over Dyersville, Iowa. I rented out an airplane. And instead of Field of Dreams, I wrote Field of Screams just so the people below can say oh there's a guy he's making a statement well yeah i am making a statement because we all need to shine a light on this issue it's not a free ride at the ballpark baseball doesn't want to you know take care of this they they failed to take care of this issue in 1970 certainly after a 14 year old boy died and you know with alan fish um and you know i believe there's no integrity in baseball and we all need to step up we all need to there's a double standard going on, and and I'm going to talk about it in my book, how the writers don't want to bite the hand that feed them because they're baseball journalists, and they just want to write about the game. But I believe that for years, people have been getting close to, or seriously close or, or, or injured every game, practically. Um, if 20,000 balls are reaching the seats every year in major league games and 60,000 in the minor leagues, we all know that those balls are flying at serious speeds uh, and reaching seats and ricocheting and, and, and connecting with people or beers or pretzels. It's connecting with things. And, and, and you know, unfortunately, it's people, too. So, so I, yeah. guess I'm, I guess I'm yeah. curious why sure. 
baseball isn't taking care of the netting? Like, does it just cost an exorbitant amount of money so they can't be bothered with it? Or is it something else? Well, it's really about keeping the image wholesome and keeping people relaxed at the game. And like I said, they didn't have the courage in 1970 after Alan Fish was killed. When when were they going to bring when were they going to finally have this honest conversation with us? They know it's foreseeable and predictable, but they know at the end of the day that a few crushed souls every year is not going to really affect their bottom line. They have like 70 million people going to major league games. They got like 30, 40 million people going to minor league games every single year. So what's a handful of people that, you know, lose their eyes or, 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 or die? It's not going to really affect them. I mean, these people that have interviewed with me, they're bitter and they want a couple of things, which they're not going to get, which they, they get shunned by baseball once they're hurt. They don't get their medical bills paid for. They feel they, they don't feel like ever going back to a game. And even this woman I interviewed who was injured as a, she lost her eye at Shea Stadium in New York in 1979. Years later, she's relieved when she's a mother that she doesn't want her child playing baseball. So, you know, it's just really unfortunate. These people need to be welcomed back into the game. And the only way their gesture will be accepted, I can't speak for them, but I get a sense because I know some of them, that they will only accept the gesture of goodwill from baseball if it's intended to not happen to anyone else ever again. Other than that, it's all nonsense. It's all, oh, oh you're apologizing. Oh, yeah, now you're, now you're like Jenny is probably still waiting since 1979. You know, yeah. she, she has a compelling story. She was in the hospital, a baseball player who hit the ball. His name is Steve Henderson, and I'm a New York Met fan, so I remember that guy's name. He was the one who hit the ball, and Joel Youngblood came instead because he might have been designated the pretty boy of the errand of the errand taker maker at the time, you know, because maybe he didn't want to come, so they sent uh, Joel Youngblood instead. And she even said, "Where is uh, where's Steve Henderson?" And they were like, "Well, they sent me." And she her her quote was, "He was he was the pretty boy, like or the, gotcha. the, the, the he was almost like the mascot." to come instead of the guy who did the hitting but that being said that's didn't change her life she lost in court she didn't get her medical bills paid for and generations later she doesn't want her kid playing baseball it has a long-term effect and also if you all remember last year during the covid times all those cardboard cutouts that were lined up in the seats now i've never been hit or maimed with a foul ball but these people told me they felt like that was really distasteful that if the ball would hit the cardboard cutout that, you know, the person would win a prize or something like that. And they thought it was very insensitive. And I was like, very interesting. You know, so I learned things from these people because they're the ones with the scars. Even this guy by the name of Dwayne Soa, who just went back to his first Philly game is feeling nervous. He told me for the book that he wasn't even going to take his child to a, a baseball game ever that he would be a, a basketball fan but he decided after a few more years i guess or maybe it was actually about a year after our interview uh he decided to take his child to the game and the reason why i'm mentioning Dwayne so his name right now is you guys can look up Dwayne. Dwayne's very vocal he spoke to nbc some of the other names i can't give you the last names until the book comes out um but Dwayne soa yep Hope you're doing good, Dwayne, if you're listening to the podcast. He's had some surgeries. He 
he he has upcoming surgeries. At the time he had surgeries, he had the right medical coverage. Now I think he's going to be have some issues with the next round of surgeries. Hopefully, you know he'll get through it. So yeah. So, I, yeah, so people have victims, people have victimized, and I'm just discovering a few of them, and I hope to discover more and give people an opportunity to share their story of foul ball safety now. Absolutely. And so I guess my last question is, if you could take one action step right now to meet that person with that wealth and influence, what would it be? The action, what my, my exchange with them would be is, listen, you guys are in a great position right now. If you're like me and you don't mind offending people that really need to be offended, who don't want to have this conversation with us, I challenge you to, A, call the first foul ball conference uh, ever that I would that I know about where everyone including the fans who have an opportunity to give their impact statements and from that from the compliance or the non-compliance from that meaning if if the broadcasters don't show up rank and file or if the baseball writers don't show up rank and file or baseball players or owners don't show up and make a make a universal presentation on their position then you know they're not being honest about the history of this matter this this topic then it's time for you to get on board with me i i'm all about dialogue i'm all about having a forum i asked the espn guy willie weinbaum at the last zoom call that we had when i was with my publicity team on april 29th i said willie why am i hosting these town halls why aren't you and i believe because they have a huge contract with espn and they're not going to push this issue far as, as far as they should and gotcha. they did some they did some sort of piece which is also on my website which is aligned with foul ball safety now they did a five minute video production which you all should see and they actually did engage people they got seven hundred fifty thousand views 4300 comments but it, it, it went dry nobody they didn't promote it so i've been promoting it I've promoted, I've spent more than four figures on re-engaging on this video because I want fans to see it because it's actually in line with what I'm doing. Maybe they got some flack from MLB saying, you know, now we're going to get a lot of phone calls because you're telling people to be nervous at baseball games. Well, you know what? That was good journalism. But on one hand, they have that big contract with MLB. They do baseball games. I called out Willie. I said, Willie, why aren't you guys hosting this town hall? And then on the other hand, they did some journalism, but why aren't they still promoting this piece? They probably spent $100,000 on putting together this great piece. Please check it out. So I yeah. like to give credit where credit is due. There's been some writers who wrote about it and said things about it, but not in like a rank and file kind of way. People said things usually in the aftermath of when a child gets hurt, but then they're not doing anything else. They still take the paycheck. They still, you know, announce games or write about baseball, but, you know, say, hey, you know, if your families are informed, why isn't everyone else more informed? Yeah. And maybe you maybe this has just not been fully transparent and maybe we can just talk about that big picture. Jordan, That's I guess. So yeah, I guess, I guess my question was more along the lines of what could you do right now 
to meet that person so you can have that discussion with them? Well, I mean, people, I'm, I'm trying on social media. I am doing outreach. I am, I'm attempting to reach baseball players, minor league players. They're great, but, you know, they're not former major league players. So anyone out there, you know, please go to foulballsafetynow.com. You're free to talk to me on or off the, on or off the record. You could be written, you could be quoted for the book, or you could just talk to me one-on-one. Or if you, like I said, you know, any of your listeners want, want to uh, join me on this venture, uh, you know, there's things we need to do. This is a big struggle. And I don't expect people to come up with any kind of money or any kind of initiative other than signing the petitions. But hey, if there's somebody out there that wants to, you know, put our heads together, the State of the Union is horrible in baseball. I don't want it to be presented any other way. When I was asked at these press conferences, when people would say to me, oh, which ballpark is safer? I was like, you guys can see my major league report 2021 and my minor league report 2021. I'm not going to dare judge, you know, what ballpark is safer for kids than others. They all need to be certified as safe. I do know that the major, the fans still, those 4,300 comments on that ESPN video, 80% of them are still negative about netting. They're blaming the fan. They're saying, stay off your phone. One thing has nothing to do with the other. You could be staring without blinking for three hours. And you, but you still have no business watching your kid from hooking 100 mile an hour balls. You cannot protect your kid. So with these signs about pay attention or even an announcement from time to time, it's not going to prevent. You're not going to be able to hook, get out of the way. We're not built that way. And baseball knew this and they continue to know this. I want to remind everyone that they've known this and they didn't really have an honest conversation with us. They, they, they protected their rear end by putting it in microprint, which seems to be that's the way they do things. And I do say they're no different from Big Tobacco up at the website at foulballsafetynow.com. So, you know, anyone is free to have a dialogue with me. And I believe that's building advocacy. Doesn't have to be somebody who makes seven figures or worth seven figures to take on the other guys that have the seven figures or worth seven figures. It could be a signature. I'm not looking for donations. I'm not a not-for-profit. But if somebody just wants to put their heads together with me, we'll come up with the next steps. It's all about dialogue. So let's have a dialogue, foulball safety now. And you may have the right idea on what the way, best way to go to attract more money, more influence, or just to attract more people to the website. So yeah. All righty. I'm, I'm excited about the journey. I will stay excited about the journey. And, you know, this is a great opportunity, Timothy. And thank you for being engaging. And I'm not sure if we have any more time or if you wanted to ask me anything else. Oh, no, I think I think we're all good. You know, we are running short on time. We're supposed to run for 30 minutes. So we have filled up this podcast and we have educated our audience today. So, Jordan, Jordan, thank you so much. This is an issue that affects people in an invisible way, like not many people have it on their radar. So it's important that you're raising advocacy for it. And I appreciate you and all that you do. So if you were listening to this show, and you resonate with something Jordan said, you're a baseball fan, you want America's families to feel safe going to these baseball games, reach out to Jordan, 
have that conversation. If you know somebody with the deep pockets and the big influence that can start the lobbying and really get the ball rolling on this independent netting council, also reach out to Jordan. Let's make this man's dreams come true and let's protect the people of America at baseball games because those are fun and they should stay fun. So Jordan, thank you so much. Do you have anything else you want to say before we sign off? No, that was a great close, Tim. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Have a oh. great one. Thank you for your listeners. And thanks for having giving me an opportunity tonight. Of course. And on that note, we're out. Guys, thanks for listening. Make sure to reach out to our guests and help them accomplish their dreams and goals if you resonated with them. If you're looking for any intentional masterminds or one-on-one coaching to accomplish your dreams and goals, make sure to check out the website, workwithtimmydouglas.com, and contact me either there or on social media. That's all I got. Have a blessed day.